Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in our week three of our series called Upstream, a series that we're busy building up to a generosity ask where we as a family together are going to dedicate some of what we have to be generous towards the city. The heart behind this generosity is the love of Jesus. And today we're going to be touching on that as we're looking at this story and this theme in the life of a Christian to live an upstream life. Jesus went around teaching about the kingdom of God being at hand, an upside down kingdom, a counter-cultural kingdom, a different way of living, an upstream life. And we're looking at what does it mean to live like that. And in the series, we've been centering around one specific verse of Paul as he was writing to the church of Thessalonica. And he was saying the following to them, commending them for staying faithful to the gospel that they've heard. And he says when he thinks about them, when he prays for them, this is what he remembers. He remembers the following. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 3 says the following. We remember before God our Father... Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this little statement, Paul is giving a summary. He's kind of like touching on the driving blocks, the things that forms us as being Christ's followers. Faith, love, and hope. Now, we've said it quite a few times that these three words are so familiar in our day and age. I mean, many times we get to someone's house and those three words are on the wall and you kind of get used to it being just nice words. But in the life of a Jesus follower, it's so much more than just words. These are words that describes and summarizes the upstream kind of life the things that are birthed from someone responding to the good news of Jesus and being born again. And we've been touching on the gospel and what it means. And last week we looked at this work of faith, that the faith we have in Jesus, His grace doesn't just do a work within us, but it also comes and does a work through us. We are not just saved by faith, but we're also called to live by this faith, live a radical life. And we looked at how Zacchaeus, a greedy traitor, through meeting Jesus, putting his faith in Jesus, saying, Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is the king, in that moment turned from a greedy traitor into a generous child and giving half of his possessions to the poor and then the other half that was left, he used to pay off four times for those people that he has done in and give them back four times. I mean, that's radical, radical generosity. That's upstream living. Today, we're going to look at the second statement that says, a upstream Christian is someone who lives a life prompted by a labor of love. We live by love. Our labor, the things that we do, the work that we're busy with, is driven by love. We're compelled by it. It's a, it's a godly kind of love. It's a self-denying, self-sacrificing love. And we're going to look at a story, an event in Jesus' life, where we're going to learn four things about love. Firstly, we're going to see what's the nature of a counterfeit love. Secondly, what does true love look like? Thirdly, how do we get the power to love like this? And then lastly, how can you and I, how can we practically go out and love those around us? How can we labor in love. 
the love that God has given us. Now, the story that we're going to be spending time in, you can spend time to go and read it. I really want to urge you to go and spend time to doing that. It's in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. But it's a story about a Pharisee called Simon who decided to invite Jesus over for a meal. And then during this meal, in the midst of this meal, while they were busy eating, a lady came in called a sinful woman or a, a woman of this city. She was basically a prostitute inside of this um, meal with Jesus. And then she came and did something very strange. She started crying and started wiping Jesus' feet with her own tears and drying it with her hair. And then she broke open a very expensive jar of anointment oil and an an ointment that's used as a perfume for women at that stage. And she poured it out over his feet. And then at seeing this, Simon was kind of a little bit of a... um, uh, taken aback by it, and he questioned Jesus. He said, Jesus, I, I mean, if you're a prophet, he thinks to himself, Jesus, if you're a prophet, you would have known that this is a sinful woman touching you. How can you allow this? He's kind of offended by this closeness from this woman in terms of connecting with Jesus. And then Jesus responds by telling him or asking him a question on a small, short little parable of two people owing someone a debt. The one person owing about 50 denarii and the other person 500 denarii. So one had a small debt to pay, the other one had a big debt to pay, but both couldn't pay it. And then then the master decided to give them both freedom and gave them grace for this payment. And then finally, he asked Simon and he said, listen, to who of these two do you think um, the debt or the love or the debt was most canceled. And he said, the one that owed the most, basically. And then Jesus said, so it is with this woman. And he ends off and describing the nature of true love. So we're going to be diving through this story. And as I've said, the first thing that this story teaches us is the nature of a counterfeit love. So this story is usually titled as the sinful woman. But in this case, I believe the title is wrong because it's a story of about two people. It's about Simon, a Pharisee, And it's also about the sinful woman. And in Simon, we see the evidence of a counterfeit love that so many of us can identify with. The thing with Simon is the the nature of counterfeit love is that in the beginning, it looks real. It looks authentic. It really looks like someone genuinely is interested. And that's the case with Simon. You see, Simon is a Pharisee. And right at the beginning of the story, it says the following. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Now, we quickly read over that statement, and we don't really realize what's the weight behind the statement. Because Pharisees absolutely despised Jesus. They didn't want to have to do anything with Jesus and what he was busy doing. In fact, we only know of one other Pharisee by name that met with Jesus. His name is Nicodemus, and he did it under the cover of night. So he also didn't want to meet with Jesus. He wants to keep it secret. So for Simon to invite Jesus over day, to a meal to come and spend time with him was radical. This was big. This was someone that was genuinely interested. He was doing at a great risk to his personal reputation. And then also he was spending money on Jesus. There was a party. There was a lot of people seeing what's busy happening right there. He, a Pharisee, spending time with Jesus. So if there's one thing we can say about Simon, It's that he was genuinely interested. He was a serious seeker. 
In fact, I love the way Tim Keller puts it when he talks about this specific incident. He says the following. He says, what we have here is we don't have a contrast between two persons who's interested in Jesus someone and someone who's hostile towards Jesus. We don't even have a contrast between a person who's interested in Christ and a person who's sort of indifferent. What we have are two very interested people in Jesus. They want to meet him. They want to get to know him. They want to be in his presence. However, the thing about a counterfeit love, even though it seems genuine, is when it's getting tested, and that's what we see in Simon, when the nature of a true love is revealed, there is immediately a piece of offense. And that's what we see in Simon's heart, how his heart is revealed. You see, and it happens when the sinful woman comes and she touches Jesus. And she gets real personal. See, it's her tears, it's her hair, it's her lips that kisses his feet. Finally, it's her ointment. She gets real and personal. That's at the heart of true love. It's personal. However, counterfeit love wants to keep things at a distance. Kind of genuinely interested, but only to the point that I'm okay with it. And that's exactly where Simon is. He's offended with her very personal approach. And almost Jesus is a response to that. He goes into verse 39. We read about it and he says the following. Now when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know what Simon is saying? Simon is saying, you know what, I love Jesus. But um, I don't know why Jesus isn't so much worried about all the religious rules that's going on. I mean, he would have known if she touches him, he's impure. That's the picture. Why is he allowing this? And he's kind of like summing him up at kind of a distance, you know. And what Simon is doing is he's doing what so many of us are doing today. He's saying Jesus is a great teacher. We should listen to what he had to say. But who he is, to get personal with him, that, that's really not the thing that matters. I beg to differ because in this story, we see exactly the opposite. We see Jesus saying, who I am and your engagement with me is really what I'm concerned about. It's not about what I've taught only whether you agree with it. And that's kind of like what Simon is doing. He's at a distance. He's busy talking and keeping Jesus at a distance. And the problem with Simon's counterfeit love is it's a love that only keeps people talking and never gets people doing. It's a talking love. It's where you spend time with other people and I don't know, maybe you're like me and you've spent time with people like that or maybe you were like me that you also were one of those guys who went on talking about all the issues and all the problems in the world but you never move into doing anything about it. It's a kind of love that says I'm genuinely interested in the problems but when love asks of me to get real, I step back. And that's exactly what happens here. In fact, I love the way John summarizes what kind of love we ought to have. He says it in 1 John chapter 3, verses 18. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Counterfeit love just never goes over into action. It always stays with a lot of theories and opinions and teachings.
However, on the other side, the nature of true love, and that's this woman's love, is the first, first characteristic of true love is that it gets personal. You see, it's her tears. It's her hair. It's her lips. It's her own ointment. She gets super personal with Jesus. The things that's moved in her heart is there is no boundaries. Everything is available in this relationship. Everything is open. There's no holding back. There's no just talking about things. There is only, I'm giving everything to this man. That's the picture. What a powerful statement about true love that this woman models. I think something that might even scare us. Because the kind of love Jesus calls us toward is a love that's costly. It's a love that's personal. It's a love that touches us. It's a love that asks us to get real and genuine. Not just pray for the sick. Say, Jesus, here I am. Use me wherever you need me. So the first characteristic, as we've touched a little bit on it, is that true love is personal. Secondly, the nature of true love is that it is unconditional. There is no conditions to this. And we find it in the story of this alabaster jar, this ointment that this lady would bring out. Now, I think sometimes we don't really realize what this is all about. So just to quickly explain the background on this specific piece of oil that she had, it's a little jar that women would have, and they would wear it on their person, and it had a very thin little neck. And this neck you would break if you want to get the ointment out. So it was so thin, it only allowed the aroma of the oil and the perfume to come out. But if you wanted to use the perfume and the anointing or the oil that was in this jar, you had to break the neck to get it out because it was too thin to pour it out. So in other words, when this woman broke it open, she literally destroyed it. It could not be used anymore for what it was intended or built to use. She gave it up. She sacrificed it. It's gone. And now what's really interesting is many of the commentators speaking about this goes on about how, how expensive this oil must have been for a marginalized woman living in one of those areas where she's socially living single. She's basically a prostitute. Um, she, she had to give up a lot of money to actually buy this expensive ointment and this oil. And I do believe there is some valid statements and, and points in this that it was very it was a very big financial sacrifice for this woman to make. However, there is something even deeper and bigger going on in this woman's sacrifice. So it wasn't just an unconditional financial sacrifice, but it moved on to something even more. This was her power. This is what she was giving up. She was giving up her only power. If you think about it, what leverage does a prostitute have even today, not just in that world. The only leverage she had, the only power she had, the only capital she had, the only thing she could use to her advantage was her desirability and her attractiveness. And this ointment gave it to her. And then she takes that off. She breaks it open. She pours it over Jesus' feet. What's she saying? Well, I'll tell you what she's saying. She's saying, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, 
then I bring everything. I bring everything I am. I bring everything I have. There is no conditions. I come with my all to you. You are the sun. You know, such a love like this, a true love, a love that's unconditional and a love that gets personal, that's the kind of love that can change a life, a city, a nation, and ultimately the world. That's the kind of love that Jesus gave, unconditional and very personal. So where do we get the power to love like this? Well, Jesus gives it to us in his little story when he speaks to Simon the Pharisee about this. And in verse 47, he tells us about the fact that we need to understand the cost of this love. We need to understand the cost of our forgiveness because he goes into a story of two people owing a debt. And in this story, sin and salvation is likened to a debt being paid. And he says, we need to understand that the, the wrongdoing between us and God, there is a debt that needs to be paid. And we need to know that we cannot pay it ourselves. That's the summary of that story. The story and the thing that you and I need to understand about cost is that the cost of our sin is a cost that's unpayable by us. We cannot add on to kind of pay it off. It's an unpayable cost. It's death itself. It's either we that's going to pay it, or in this case, Jesus that decides to pay it on our behalf. But there's this thing about being a self-made man that creeps into our, I want to say, middle-class Christianity. This idea that it's kind of Jesus dying for me, but also all of my good works that like adds on. So I'm a good person. I need him to die only for 20% of my sin. The rest I'm dealing with myself. And that's kind of where Simon is. Simon is a Pharisee. I mean, he's an upholder of the, he's a teacher of the law. He's doing everything right. And therefore, he's a little bit offended at about how this woman just gets access to Jesus. Well, he's paying a very high price. I mean, he's worked hard. He needs to get Jesus' attention. And Jesus kind of needs to fit into his way of life because he is a self-made man. Jesus makes this this statement that shocks you to the very core. And he says the following in verse 47 about people like this. He says, therefore I tell you, this lady who gave up everything, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus is making this statement Comparison saying, if you do not know how much you have been loved, how much it cost God to pay the price for you, for your sins, how much you've been forgiven, you will not have the capacity to love much. We need to understand the cost. That's the first thing that ignites the fire to this love. But it's not just the cost. If you realize the cost, it will probably get you to sit down in the dumps being overwhelmed by how bad you are. You also need to understand God's grace. You need to understand how Jesus looked at this woman and in the midst of this public moment where she just bears all, opens everything up, he tells her the one thing that her heart desired, 
And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. What you've done will no longer define you. But what I've done will define you. What happened? My love for you will change you. He tells her, you have gotten what you've looked for. You see, the biggest thing we learn about God's grace, I believe, in this piece is that grace is not just a teaching. It's not just an academic statement or a nice seminar that you go to and now you understand it. It's not something that you can keep at a distance. It's not impersonal like Simon wanted to have it. No. Grace is personal. God reveals his grace through a person whose name is Jesus. And he gave his son. It's very personal. And ultimately, Jesus didn't stay at a distance. He came very close to the point where we nailed him to a cross. God's grace moves us. It's not an academic move. And it's only when the cost and the love of God, when those two things grip your heart on a personal level, when you meet Jesus for yourself, when it's open to you, that it will change your capacity to love. It will break open your heart. In fact, it will do like what happened with this woman. I find it so interesting. She came with an agenda to come and tell Jesus, to come and give Jesus her everything. And when she arrived at his feet, she literally couldn't do it. Instead of opening up this oil, she just broke. She was in tears on her knees. I mean, she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. She's broken. His presence, who this person is and what is done, if he is who he said he is, moves me to the point where I cannot stand in his presence. And that's exactly where we find her. And if you've met him, that's exactly where we're going to find you. If you surrender your self-made notions. I just have this in my heart. While you're sitting there, maybe listening to this, maybe you're thinking self-made is my way. Have you considered how many of the things that you have today is based on stuff that you have no control over? The time in which you were born, the family and country in which you were born, the opportunities at your disposal because of the place that you were born. Everything that you could not decide by yourself. Self-made people are not so self-made. It's by the grace of God that we are where we are. And once you discover that, you will be at the feet of the Son of the Most High, like that lady, broken and open to give everything. Lastly and quickly, just touching on this, how do we love Jesus like this? When you've discovered this grace, now you've discovered God's grace for your life, how do you love the world around you? Jesus makes it actually so clear in Matthew 25, where he says the following. He says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
And Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you love the marginalized, if you love the poor, if you love those that are in trouble, if you reach out to the pain of our city with the love of Jesus that heals and makes new, that's when you love me. That's when you've truly touched me. That's where you give your everything, and that's where it's getting personal. Do you see how personal the love of Jesus gets? Because it might be the guy that stole the TV in your house that Jesus is sending you to love and give towards and make sure that he meets the king and that he finds a place in this good world that God has created. To heal the pain of this city will ask the radical love of Jesus will ask us to live an upstream life. Let's pray. Father, as we get an opportunity to reflect on the story of the radical love of this woman that was moved when she met you, when she knew that you were who you said you were, who said nothing was not up for grabs, whose love was unconditional. Father, I pray that as we look at the unconditional personal love that we get when we look at the life of Jesus that we've received from you. Father, I pray that a love would be stirred in our hearts to go out into our city, to go out in this world, to our colleagues, to our enemies, to our friends, to anyone around us, and to do a laboring work of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.